History is strange, it's alien, and it won't give us what we would like to have. It's Hour 3 of Bill Mick Live on 92.7 FM WMMB. Thanks for taking your time, spending it with us here for the Space Coast Morning Conversation. Uh, we're going to suspend the phone calls as we normally do on Tuesdays at 8 o'clock because Tuesdays at 8 o'clock, it's Dave Does History. This hour being brought to you by Caddo's Tire and Auto Service. You can uh, link up to Dave and uh, his new Dave Does History page at BillMick.com where you see Dave Does History highlighted. That's a link to the new Dave Does History page and everything that Dave does over there, including the podcast of our show when we're together here on Tuesdays. So, uh, Dave Bowman, you were with us for the last hour. How's Silverdale, Washington this morning, my friend? Eerily quiet. That's good. I hope so. I... If it gets eerily quiet here, that means that storm has changed track and it's coming at us. So we're kind of worried about that. By the way, Operation Stormwatch, check that out at uh, BillMick.com. It's in the on-demand section there, all the latest information on the hurricane as it progresses toward Florida. Um we talked storms today, Dave, the hurricane, and now we're talking storm Trump for the last hour. There is a, an effort, and it's been launched in Florida, to keep Trump off the ballot, saying it is the constitutional thing to do. You happened to talk about this on a podcast last week that I thought was outstanding, by the way, and that's why I asked you to bring some of that back to the table here this morning. Yeah, it's unusual. I don't normally do that, but yeah, the um, the lawyer, a guy by the name of Lawrence Kaplan, is he's from Boyd Boytno Beach? Boynton Beach. Well, he misspelled Palm Beach County. He misspelled Boynton in his own. He's also complaint. a tax lawyer. So shut well, up. You know, I don't know that I would go that far, Bill, because lawyers are a special breed. My best friend in the entire world is a lawyer. So, um, but he's also a tax lawyer. So see, there you go. He's. Uh, He's but good, go ahead and take your expertise in the areas where you don't practice, counselor. Thank you. Well, at the same time, you know, there's there's certain levels of this. And one of the things that I I, I believed is that you said this last hour about people aren't engaged, people don't understand these things. And I think that there's a, a tendency in this country to overqualify things. In other words, if you're not an attorney, you can't comment on anything to do with the First Amendment. And if you're a tax attorney, well, what do you know about it? You know, Abraham Lincoln never went to law school. And in fact, many attorneys in the, in the, that wrote the First Amendment didn't go to the first, didn't go to law school. Right. This wasn't intended to be. I think it should still be that way, in all honesty. Yeah. It wasn't intended to be a constitution for the scholarly. Uh, I scoff at the idea. People say, well, constitutional scholars. There's no such thing. They're just people that have studied it enough to to speak cogently about it. And and I think that that's available to all of us, and we should all be doing that. There's the idea that we're not doing it is absurd. So I don't have a problem with a guy that, that's a tax attorney doing this. I do have some problems with his complaint, which I have printed out and read. It's seven pages long. Uh-huh. And I'm not going to sit here and read you the whole thing because 
it's lawyerese, but here's the second to closing paragraph, one sentence from it. You ready? As such, this court, having the innate power to rule, is objectively or abjectly required to find that Donald J. Trump's actions with respect to the January 6th uprising and specifically the fact that he has been indicted for said acts have effectively disqualified him from seeking the office of the President of the United States and effectively barred him from participation in the Florida Republican primary for president next spring. At its core, what he's saying is the 14th Amendment, specifically the third section, prevents Donald Trump from running for president, let alone serving as president. Mm -hmm. The real question is, is that what the 14th Amendment, Section 3, actually says? And more importantly, what have we done about it in the past? Or has it ever mattered in the past? Well, those are things we will look at. And we pick it up in 60 seconds right here on Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. Dave, we often hear, Dave Bowman with us with Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live, looking at uh, 14th Amendment, third section of specifically regarding Donald Trump and his run for the presidency, with some claiming he can't do it based on the Constitution. We hear about legislative intent, Dave. Is there constitutional intent to consider here? Possibly. But remember, this is an amendment, not part of the original Constitution. So, it didn't oh, so even... the amendments aren't, aren't, aren't anything to worry about then? Let's no, forget. they are, but... Keep okay. in mind that let's not say it's a lesser part. Then. No, Come no, on. that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when you consider original intent, you, you have to consider the original intent of 1868. Exactly. So, that was my point. OK, let's go to Wisconsin, or as I like to call, call it, not. Wisconsin, where the real Americans live. We're, <laughs> by the way, one of my best listeners lives. So let me throw a shout out to Steve. Hey, Steve. Um, let's go to Wisconsin, where the real Americans live in 1918. So in 1918, Wisconsin is somewhat typical of the United States, but in some ways not. It is very heavily socialist. In fact, Milwaukee is run by the Socialist Party in in Wisconsin. There is a great deal of influence of what we would call the progressive era. Wisconsin is, of course, heavily, heavily agricultural. Uh, or as I like to refer to it, a flat cow-intensive state. And the other thing about Wisconsin that you need to understand in 1918 is that it has a significant German-American population. And in some cases, just German population, people who haven't become naturalized yet. There's just a lot of Germans in Wisconsin. The Spanish flu has had a big effect uh, in Wisconsin. For some reason, it has, has hit more up there. You've got temperance and prohibition going on, and there's this thing called the Farmers and Nonpartisan League, which is very big up in the upper Midwest, North Dakota. It's a political party. It's a third-party political movement, which actually will end up having some success. But the important thing to keep in mind here is socialist and heavily German. Now, in 1918, can you see where that might be an issue? Oh, a little problem there, yeah. World War One is raging by this point. In April of 1917, of course, Woodrow Wilson had Congress declare war on Germany. And at the same time, he had pa- Congress pass a law. The law is uh, called the Espionage Act, and 
it is to prevent people from spying on America for Germany. By early 1918, they're having some problems in the United States of America. And you know what the problem is? It's that doggone First Amendment thingy where people keep talking and saying what they think about things and not agreeing with the government, not agreeing with the official position of the United States government. And we can't have that. Hmm. And so in 1918, they pass a law called the Alien and Sedition Act, in which they essentially criminalize, this is the United States of America, people, they criminalize criticism of the United States government. And they start throwing people in jail for criticizing the United States government. Now, keep in mind, in Wisconsin, where they have newspapers, heavily German, heavily socialist, there are newspaper editors who are writing articles that are very critical of the war effort and very critical of the idea that, you know, the United States is getting involved in World War I. We don't have a lot of time to spend on World War I right now, but I would submit to you that there are people today who still believe that the reason the United States went to war in 1917 had nothing to do with the arsenal of democracy. It had everything to do with the fact that we loaned Britain and France billions of dollars, and we were afraid they were going to lose. And if they lost, lost, sorry, they wouldn't repay us. So we got to make sure that they win. Is it an argument? Yes. Do I believe it? I certainly believe parts of it. I don't know if I believe all of it. And so these newspaper articles start appearing in Wisconsin newspapers criticizing the war effort. And, of course, they're fairly well received in Wisconsin, which is heavily German and heavily socialist. But the government is not happy about this. They are not going to put up with this. And as they have begun arresting people all around the country for criticizing the government, they arrest a guy, Bill, I've talked about this in the past on my show, they arrest a guy for making a film that is all about the founding of America. And they arrest him on the basis of, this. the, the film is called The Spirit of 76. Mm-hmm. They arrest him because the bad guys in the film are the British. And the British are now our allies. So this film, which is about patriotism and how America came to be, because it criticizes our allies is now verboten in the United States. They arrest him, put him in jail, and deport him mm-hmm. back to Germany, which he didn't want to go. He was, he was American. We deported an American citizen after arresting him and putting him in jail. Do you start to see how bad this 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 approach to, to the First Amendment was in 1918? Oh, yeah, most certainly. By the way, that law is still on the books, and it's that law which is being used to prosecute January 6th protesters, which makes you have to wonder, do we really have a First Amendment anymore, let alone a 14th Amendment anymore? Due process and equal protection? It really doesn't sound like it. No, it really doesn't, which, of course, leads us to today. And we pick it up with Dave Bowman and Dave Does History as Bill McLeod continues here on WMMB in just moments. And it all applies to today. And can Donald Trump be prohibited from being on the ballot? We'll try to sort it out next.
Dave Bowman joins us for our weekly dive into history. Pay attention, there will be a test. No, there won't be a test, but you will be held accountable. Bill Mick Live. Thank you, Victor Lyle. Dave Bowman is with us from Silverdale, Washington this morning as we dive into this idea of President Trump potentially being kept off the ballot. Can it happen? Is it a 14th Amendment issue? Dave, we're in Wisconsin where that 70s show was centered. I like that. That one of my favorite comedies, that 70s show. I think Red is my hero. Nonetheless, um, where are we at right now? So just a reminder, reset here a little bit. You've got socialist newspaper editors at a tour, in, in our case, in, in Wisconsin, where the real Americans live. The government passes two laws, the Espionage Act and the Alien and Sedition Act. And this guy, whose name is Victor Berger, is writing newspaper editorials criticizing the government. Government gets mad. They arrest him and indict him for violation of the Espionage Act and the Alien and Sedition Act. Ooh. Berger's response to that is, I'm going to run for Congress and get these laws overturned. He runs for Congress under indictment. And that's important. He's under mm-hmm. indictment. He runs for Congress anyway. And nobody says, you can't run for Congress. In fact, it's not until he is convicted of violation of this act that anybody has anything to say. He's convicted, sentenced to 20 years in prison. But before they haul him off to prison, he wins the seat in Congress. Not by a huge margin, but he does win. He shows up in Washington, D.C., and Washington, Congress says, no, 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 no. Amendment 14, Section 3, you are in violation of, of you know, that. You have acted against the United States. You are, you know, you're an insurrectionist. You're calling for whatever. You cannot be seated here in the Congress of the United States. <clears throat> Does this sound familiar at all? Uh, yeah, a little bit. By the way, this has happened before. One time. In 1866, Alexander Stevens, who had been the vice president of the Confederacy in 1866, is elected by the state of Georgia to the United States Senate. He shows up in Washington, D.C., and they say, no, you're, you're in violation of your you're insurrectionist. You cannot be in Congress. And this sets off an argument that goes on for about four or five years. In the meantime, Stevens writes a book about why he's right, and the Confederacy was right, and it's just a real mess. But now Berger is sitting in Washington, D.C., the Congress has said, no, you cannot be here. You are verboten. And because you are verboten, this seat, we hereby declare this Wisconsin seat open. Wisconsin, you must have a special election and fill this seat. Because this guy is a convicted felon under the Alien and Sedition Act, and he cannot be in Congress. So they send it back to the state of Wisconsin where they will hold a special election to fill the seat. Dave Bowman with us. Dave Does History. By the way, links to Dave's new Dave Does History page. They're for you there at BillMick.com on today's show page. If you click the Dave Does History link, it takes you to DaveDoesHistory.org, where a lot of things are there that Dave covers with us and outside of that. 
Dave Bowman, we're uh, looking at the 14th Amendment, and we've had it in play before, and it looks like it didn't really have a lot of impact. Well, it did. I mean, they told Stevens to kiss off. You Not only are you a Confederate, but you're a Confederate vice president. You don't get to be here. At least that's what they told him initially. Now, in 1920, Berger has won his election, his 1918 election, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the 1920 election. Congress has told him, no, you can't be seated. Wisconsin, you must conduct a special election. So they do. Wisconsin holds a special election in December of, of 1920. And lo and behold, Berger wins again. This time it's a landslide. I mean, people wow. in Wisconsin just, they're ticked off. So they, they reelect him again and send him back to Congress. Congress this time, because now he's convicted, says, no, you're permanently barred. You can never have a seat in the Congress of the United States, ever. But something happens along the way. In December of 1921, the Supreme Court of the United States gets involved in this case about the newspaper editor who expressed his opinion and was arrested, charged, and convicted by the United States government. The Supreme Court looked at that and said, you can't do that. And they overturn his conviction. Make sense? The problem is... Yeah, but does it invalidate every other amendment to the Constitution, including this no, one? No, because, here's why. They didn't overturn it on the basis of the First Amendment. They overturned his conviction on the basis of the fact that the judge who oversaw the case a fellow by the name of Kennesaw Mountain Landis, which for those of us who are baseball people is a very familiar name. I started thinking baseball when you said it. He was the commissioner of baseball. He was the judge that oversaw this case to begin with. And he, the judge, made a bunch of what we would call racist, biased comments about Germans and socialists before the trial. And the defense had moved to have him booted off the case. He's he refused to recuse himself. And this is the basis for why the Supreme Court overturns the case, not because of the First Amendment. They never address that, which is part of the problem. They never get into the actual meat of the case, which is, hey, does the First Amendment apply here? Oh, and by the way, what about what Congress did to Alexander Stevens? Does that apply? Because his conviction is overturned, Congress, which permanently barred Berger, now can't. He runs again in 1922. He wins three more terms and serves in Congress, even though he was technically permanently barred, because now he is not a convicted felon, and he's not under indictment or anything else. So does this thing really apply or not? Does 14.3 actually apply? Well, as you started off our hour, this attorney in Palm Beach County says that conviction doesn't matter. But apparently, at least in this case, it did. It's mattered in every case, Bill. And this is the problem. He wants he wants Trump off the ballot in Florida. But Stevens ran. Not only did Stevens run for Senate, but then he runs for Congress after that. Mm -hmm. Berger runs five times. And others, uh, even Marjorie Taylor Greene was accused of the same thing, but she, you know, they they essentially nullified that case on the basis of, well, did she really do it or not? These are really the only two cases 
Alexander Stevens and Victor Berger are really the only two times that this thing has ever really actually been invoked. They threatened it with Marjorie, is it Taylor Green or Green Taylor? Yeah. I can never remember. Taylor Green. But but it never went anywhere with her. There was a case out of Alabama, Madison Cawthorn, is that his name? Where they accused him of it, they were talking about it, but when he ended up not winning, it became a moot point anyway. So the question is, can he run or can't he? And even if he wins, is he permanently barred? Because doesn't seem like a permanent bar really works, does it? Well, is anything really permanent ever? <laughs> well, I like to think the sky and the earth are, but who knows? Yeah, my guess is probably not for that one either. Dave does history on Bill McLive. We continue. How's this impact the Trump campaign, the campaign ahead and the trial and everything? We'll talk it coming up on Bill McLive. Till the last minute, the radio clock waits for no one. Call Bill now at 321-768-1240. The iHeartRadio Music Festival happens in September in Las Vegas, and we got a chance for you to win. You and a friend off to Vegas with uh, two tickets to the iHeartRadio Music Festival, hotel night stay for two, airfare, ground transportation in Vegas, and uh, a $1,000 gift card for you to spend as you like. Chances to win happen with Acuta Text at 9 a.m. hour, 1 p.m. and 5 p.m. hours of the show. Uh, glad you're along. Gatto's Tire and Auto Service bringing you our final segment of a Tuesday on Bill McLive. Tuesdays on Bill McLive is Dave Does History. Dave Bowman with us as uh, from Silverdale, Washington, talking the 14.3 Amendment, which, uh, Dave, do you see any possibility, given what we've discussed here, that this lawyer in Palm Beach County is going to be able to keep Donald Trump off the ballot? Yes, I do. You think so? I, I think this is the goal is to keep Trump off the ballot. Now, that's a political discussion, but mm -hmm. I, I think that there is a certain level of ignorance in this country that what he says makes sense. When you read it, you go, oh, well, that's what it says. That must be what it means. But because people don't know the history of it, and and clearly – this guy, uh, Lawrence Kaplan, and if you're listening, Lawrence, uh, give me a call. Uh, either A, he's yeah, ignorant. Yeah, he's a tax lawyer fan. Yeah. Go ahead, call him. E either he's ignorant or he's intentionally obfuscating things and leaving things out. Because No lawyer would do that. They're he, officers of the court, Dave. He knows or must, should know, reasonably should know, certain facts. You know, lawyers like facts things. 14.3 did not prevent Berger or Stevens or anybody else from running for office, even under indictment, and in fact, in Berger's case, under conviction. It mm -hmm. did not prevent them from running. Fact number two is we don't have a true SCOTUS ruling on this case because they never ruled on the free speech element of this. They never ruled as to whether or not the the that side of things. All they said was Kennesaw Mountain Landis was, was biased and should have recused himself, so the conviction was overturned. Now, the thrust of Donald Trump's defense is freedom of speech. I'm free to say whatever I want. But here's the kicker in all of this, Bill, and this is the part to keep in mind. 
Alexander Stevens was refused a seat in the Senate in 1866, but he was seated in Congress in 1873. Victor Berger was refused a seat in 1920, but seated in 1923. Why? Well, in Berger's case, you could argue because he was, his conviction was overturned. Mm-hmm. But how did, Alex Dan, Ale, how did Alexander Stevens end up there? Well, in 1872, what, eight years after they passed the 14th Amendment? Not even that long. Five years after they passed the, the, the 14th Amendment? Congress of the United States passed an amnesty act that, depending on how you read it, unless you were a member of the 36th or 37th Congress or the United States military or some sort of senior Confederate officer, you were, you are now, it doesn't apply anymore. Congress passed a law essentially ending 14.3 in 1872. Or did they? No one really knows for sure whether it applies or not today. Can a law supersede something that's in the Constitution? You would think that doesn't make sense. Well, Congress may pass laws to enforce this, the regulations of this amendment, right? Mm-hmm. In 1872, they passed the Amnesty Act. This allowed Alexander Stevens, who had been the vice president of the Confederacy, to take the a seat The people this was targeted at, by the way. Yeah. The people it was written for ends up in Congress, and he's not the only one. There's a lot of Southern Confederates that end up in Congress. And in fact, if you follow this out to its logical conclusion in 1873, 1876, you see that a lot of former Confederates end up running the South in the post-Reconstruction era. This could mean that 14.3 doesn't even apply to Donald Trump, but we've had no court test to see if this actually happens. <laughs> and what does it take to start a court test? Well, it requires a complaint, which Mr. Kaplan has aptly given us graciously provided in right. Palm Beach. Yeah. Although again, he's left out several pertinent facts, which is that an indictment does not include, does not preclude anybody never has under 14.3. The question is whether or not anybody in the court system knows any of this history, whether any of Donald Trump's no, lawyers know any of this history, or whether the people who are listening to Mr. Kaplan know any of this history, because if they do, you're going to start seeing really quickly that this is, we're into Banana Republic stuff here, even with yes. 14.3, which may have been overturned by Congress in 1872. We just don't know yet. And we're back in 60 seconds on Bill McLive. Dave does history on Bill McLive. Dave, I've, I've got some questions and concerns and things that are making me scream in my head. So let me let me get to one or two of them as we wrap up our Dave Does History here. Attorney Kaplan, moron that he is in Palm Beach, let me say this delicately, moron in Palm Beach County. He asserts that these allegations are enough to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. He also asserts as fact, without question, that Donald Trump incited, participated, encouraged, blah, 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 the events of January 6th, none of which have been proven as fact because the finders of fact in this country end up being a judge in a bench trial or a jury in a criminal trial. And he's way in advance of both of these things. I think he's put the cart way in front of the horse here. Well, I mean, again, I'm not a tax attorney, so 
Yeah. <laughs> Take that into account. Yeah. He certainly makes some assertions in this complaint that are what lawyers refer to as facts, not in evidence. In other words, did Donald Trump incite an insurrection? He cites them as fact, but they're not. Well, again, that's what that's that's what they call facts, not in evidence. You can say it, but you haven't proved it yet. Uh, I, for the record, do not buy the argument that January 6th was an insurrection yeah. on the basis of an insurrection against what? If the government is of, by, and for the people, and the people are upset, what were they trying to replace it with? Were they trying to overthrow the government and replace it with what? So how is that an insurrection? That said, I, I think that I think that you're going to see more and more of this. I, I'm surprised that you haven't seen this in 20 or 30 states already. Well, Steve mentioned in his first call in the uh, 7 o'clock hour that um, Michigan was doing something similar right now with their attorney general or secretary of state, whoever it may be, pursuing a similar line of thought to try to get or keep Trump off the ballot. Right. What's this do to our electoral process then? Well, if you get somebody off the ballot on the basis of the Constitution, well, then it must be right. The problem is, of course, that people don't understand the history of this. They don't understand that 14.3 might not even really exist because of a subsequent law passed by Congress. It, We don't know. And because the court in 1920, 1923, 21, somewhere there, uh, didn't actually address that, we don't actually know. Are Donald Trump's lawyers smart enough to, to see that? Is are, are, are the conservative chat show hosts around the country, Are they do they know this? Do they understand that an indictment has never stopped anybody? A conviction has never stopped anybody from running for office? And only who actually enforces this? In the case of Congress, it's Congress. They 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 say you can't be seated or you can be seated. And by the way, they do that on other basis as well. Who decides if the president can be seated or not? Who decides what happens there? These are things that in 1866 made sense because of the Confederacy and the actual mm -hmm. insurrection where people actually shot at United States services. That didn't happen here. So... Who makes those decisions? And if it's up to some people. I, I can see the next Supreme Court hearing, Dave, when the, when they're trying to, the, the next Senate hearing, trying to confirm a Supreme Court justice. Can you define insurrection? That's coming, Bill. You know as well as I do. And yeah. because of the makeup of the Supreme Court right now, the next the next coming thing is, well, these three justices are invalid because they were nominated by a convicted felon and they should be impeached on that basis. Are we tearing down our system? Are yes. we watching the, the country crumble in front of us? Yes, yes, that's exactly what is happening. Is we are watching uh, essentially a takeover of the republic. This is no different than 42 BCE and, and Octavian when he saw the opportunity and took advantage of popular opinion and and turned the republic into an empire. What's the line from uh, Star Wars? This is how the Republic dies, to thunderous applause. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So short-term impact. What's this do to this election season? Whew. We Boy, just can't tell yet, can we? I, 
it all depends on what Donald Trump's attorneys do, to, in, in my view. Let's hope they're smarter than the attorneys he had as he was fighting the 2020 election, because those people bungled it as much as anything else. If they're not wise in, in the things that you've talked about here today, uh, he could be in trouble here. Right. And I don't guarantee that the things I've talked about here today would would influence a court. In fact, we've seen courts rule that, that the 1872 Act doesn't apply. We've seen them rule that it does apply. So who knows? But the bottom line is the line of defense is that it's never an indictment and even a conviction have never stopped someone from running for office. They may stop you from being seated under certain conditions. Which is an act of the Congress, not right. an act of, of the election. Not right? an act of a tax attorney in Boynton Beach, Florida. <laughs> but but at the same time, we don't have that. We don't have that decision. And we're so close now to the election that if you start putting this into there, does it screw things up? And what happens when the ruling doesn't go the way that one side or the other wants? What happens if the court rules that Donald Trump is not under any? I think you see the Supreme Court take it up immediately, as they do in certain cases they when there's to. an exigency there. And given the makeup of this court, you would think it would bode favorably for Trump, but you, you can't be certain. But how does that bode then for the street violence in the aftermath? Well, that would be an insurrection by Democrats, would it not? Well, no, those are mostly peaceful, right? Yeah, yeah well, that's true. And, and you're from that neck of the woods. You've seen all of that. Yeah. You've well, been to the chop lately? No, I don't go to Seattle for any reason. <laughs> Dave, very interesting and an interesting tie to what's going on right here in our neck of the woods. I appreciate it, my friend. I'm happy to help. My best of the family. We'll talk again soon. All right? All right, man. We'll see you then.